0: You already know the ending to this story.
1: We're going to change it. Yeah, baby! Please, open your eyes. Take this. Remember who you answer to.
0: What What is
1: your name?
0: This is where it kind of goes off the deep end.
1: Welcome to Movie Land with C.J. Johnson. On ABC Local Radio, digital and online.
0: Hello and welcome to Movie Land. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you very much for joining me. When I look back at 2017, and of course there are some good movies still to come, so who knows, but... At the moment, my consideration is that I will look back on the year of horror-adjacent films with something to say that stirred my imagination and got me back into the horror, or at least what I'm calling the horror-adjacent genre. I'm thinking of Raw, Mother... Personal Shopper, Hounds of Love, Get Out, It Comes at Night, and now The Belco Experiment. None of these films would necessarily call themselves strictly horror, and yet all of them are riffing on the horror genre, but they've got ideas at their heart, and they are drifting away from the cookie-cutter version of, for example, the slasher film that's been with us for at least 30 or 40 years now. Greg McLean made a big splash onto the international movie-making scene with Wolf Creek. He has worked rather exclusively in the horror genre, but his new film, The Belko Experiment, which opens across Australia on September 21st, is what I would at least suggest horror adjacent rather than strict horror. Anyway, the director himself has joined me from our studios in Melbourne. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Good. What do you think of my um, little assessment of the year so far? Do you think we are sort of seeing a a rich new vein of this, what I'm calling horror adjacent? Uh, I I think it's fascinating. I think it's interesting. Um, You're
1: lining up those films that really do have large elements of social commentary and, and some big ideas they're exploring while being a sensibly scary stories is, a, I think it's it's fascinating. I have no idea why it's happening, but I think it maybe it's part of the the idea of filmmakers maturing at a time, but still loving genre films and and growing up loving these kind of films, but also as you know artists and writers and directors and producers thinking you really want to do something that actually has an impact beyond just the initial sort of jump scares and that kind of stuff. And, you know, genre has always been a great place to talk about bigger ideas um, anyway. So I think most of the iconic horror films that have transcended time and we still talk about, I think if you unpack them, you'll find that they are actually, you know, filled with ideas or at least have a theme that the, um, the horror is kind of, you know,
0: an allegory or a metaphor for. Mm. I do feel a little bit that horror stagnated for a while, from about <laughs> from about Halloween till about <laughs> the thirteenth iteration of Friday the Thirteenth. I do think that right. the slasher genre kind mm-hmm. of stole horror away from the ideas department and also from the production values department. Yeah, I mean your new film and all of the films i've just mentioned and films like the shining and the omen had quality acting and production mm. design and production values but there were there were thousands upon tens of thousands of bad horror movies made mm. in in about in sort of a 30 to 40 year period and now i'm i think these films all are, there's a new attention to craft do you yeah. see that
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, absolutely. It's interesting. It's almost like there's this, um, there's like a a, a U-shaped curve. When you think about in the 70s, you know, some of the biggest commercial films in the 70s, like you mentioned The Omen, The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, um, there was a whole slew of, you know, very, very well-crafted, you know, big budget um, films that came out of that period that were very commercially successful, but were also made as serious studio films um i think once horror became perceived as commercial it became a bit of a cash grab and you know it became you know the the home of kind of big grade producers trying to cash in making cheap slasher films and fright flicks and monster flicks and all all those kind of fun things that a lot of us think of very fondly but really were pretty crappy and i think what's happened in the last sort of decade even the last sort of 5 years when you have filmmakers growing up like you know James Wan and there's a whole slew of filmmakers now who are just very good storytellers and have matured as filmmakers and who make movies like The Conjuring, which feels like a '70s a big budget '70s studio film with really good acting, with beautiful sets and very mm-hmm. considered craft and it's a, and a good piece of storytelling. So I feel like maybe it's just a kind of coming of age of. Um, these things where they, they do kind of tend to revolve in cycles of different filmmakers maturing at different points and wanting to tell scary stories, but actually now having the um, you know, maturity to take
0: a, do, a, do, a, do it in a slightly different way. I think you're, you've hit on something there, which is that very intimate personal thing of actually looking at the individual's. They're mm. of a certain age. They've grown up loving the ones that we've mentioned. You know, they love The Shining. They love The Omen. They love Rosemary's Baby. They love Poltergeist. They love Jaws. Right. And now they've got the keys to the kingdom to some degree or another.
1: I, I And I agree. And I think that, you know, we were just talking before about the movie It, which I think basically is it's almost like – all of these films that have come out in the last five years, the ones that you've mentioned that are the, you know, very well-made, very good look, you know, they they look like studio films really, mm. but they're kind of edgy, sometimes very dark horror movies. It's almost like this, you know, it in a way kind of is a film that basically capitalizes on all of that kind of audience development. And I feel like it is an audience development because I feel like with things like Netflix and Stan and all the streaming services in the world, horror you know is now something that many people who wouldn't have looked at horror as a thing to look at do find themselves scrolling through their lists and going oh what's that new thing and you know when you have shows like the walking dead which is ostensibly a zombie survival story being one of the biggest tv shows in the world and even game of thrones there's a lot of horror aspects in in that show mm. in terms of very extreme violence and you know f- fantasy kind of horror elements i think that that You know, horror used to be a very niche kind of thing, but now it's just like, it's another form of entertainment that is obviously vastly mainstream
0: now. Mm. It is reminiscent in in some ways of your debut, Wolf Creek, because I guess I'm assuming Wolf Creek was an R-rated film and it is an R-rated film and its financial success is pleasantly surprising people all over the world because this R-rated film with very graphic elements is making all this money. And Wolf Creek was, I, I would suggest, a surprising financial success considering mm. its intensity. Absolutely. <clears throat> but I think I think with
1: with, with my film it was um, – the intensity was part of the impact. And it was part of the reason that people, right. I think, were interested to see it because it – People left that film going, I've just seen something that's very, very intense. And, and I, I definitely set out to to, to um, experiment with what people would could stand. And I was surprised when people actually could stand that much because I thought mm-hmm. it was extremely, you know, very extreme what we're trying to – how we're portraying, you know, violence in that film and trying to de-glamorize it and make it extremely realistic. Mm. Um, I was happily surprised that people could take it, but I was genuinely you know, it always struck me as strange that people would want to see that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> 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 we'll flash forward to your new film, The Belco Experiment, which I uh, saw the other day and enjoyed very much. Thank you. It's, um, it's the, the thing that fascinated me most, or uh, well, sort of most immediately, the thing I'd like to discuss, first of all, is that, you know, staying for the credits, it appeared to me that this film that was set in Colombia seems to have been shot in Colombia. Was this whole film shot in Colombia? It was, yeah. yeah. The whole movie, um, we shot it all out in
1: in in Bogota. We we found some um, we found some abandoned uh, office an office building that had three floors that were empty, and we found a massive warehouse on the outskirts of Bogota. And we can build a bunch of huge sets in there, and we shot it all in Colombia. So when I when I first joined the project, it was already set up to be um, to be shot there, and. Um, it was it was funny because at the time I was I was also in communication with people about another film that I've also just finished, which also shot in Colombia. So I did two films in a row in, in Bogota, and Colombia, which was completely bizarre <laughs> um, and coincidental. So yeah, I shot. Um, we it was set up as a so it was you know made as an American studio film by MGM, and but by the time I joined the film, it was. That was it, was already being done there, which was cool because the script was always set in a South American city. Um, and that Bogota was the place where it ended up being
0: shot. Oh, I see. So we won't give too much away, but it's set in, uh, uh, a, a, an outpost of an American corporation, the, the Belco Corporation, and it's it's based, I don't know whether it's, it's headquarters, but there is an outpost in Bogota, Colombia, and it goes into a sort of shutdown and 80 employees, mostly American but not exclusively, are kept inside and things happen. There's, it, it, I, I assumed, being the person I am and knowing what I do about film, that I assumed that the exteriors were shot in Bogotá and then because you have American actors in basically interiors that the rest was shot on a Hollywood lot. Right. So why is, is Bogotá or Colombia or both sticking their hand up saying, shoot your entire film here? Is it a tax break thing? Is it... Um, there's, there, there's certainly a good tax break there because the, the next, I
1: did the next film, uh, Jungle. I shot that there as well. There, there's a healthy rebate there. It's like, I think it's like 39, 40% or something yeah, like that. Right. So it's obviously very attractive for producers to go there. Um, uh, but, yeah, and I think also it um, th- just made sense. It just made sense for us to go there and do the whole film there. I think also, you know, it was, it, it's not a huge budget film, so the studios is trying to minimize, you know, their costs and make it as cheaply as they can and get as much value on screen. So that's, you know, all, all these studios have basically rooms, like little, they have war rooms <laughs> with with uh, all the um, running rebates around the world. And, and when they're making decisions about where to make movies, they literally just run the numbers on different scenarios and you 'd be surprised why some films get shot certain places and really just comes down to money right so are you comes, sorry that's all right no just yeah. it's, it's it's quite amusing to, to listen to those conversations because you think that you you artistically think oh it's about this and the the locations and the beautiful no no we just get more, more bang for our buck.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I guess it was probably <laughs> in the nineties or the early two thousands when I just started noticing Romania and Czechoslovakia yes. and all of those Eastern Absolutely. Eastern countries popping yeah. up in films that were set in Paris or yep. New York. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, so you, uh, did you? So you didn't build sets. That was all. You were using an existing office building that was abandoned or not been used. We found
1: basically it was, and it was actually very hard. It sounds like an easy thing to do to find a bunch of spaces to shoot the film, but it was actually very difficult because what we needed was we needed, you know, four floors of of office building to take over. It had to look a particular way, and we had to have the different levels of of um, office building. Um, and so we we managed to find it in the CBD of Bogota. Um, Three floors that were not being used in a in a in a sort of you know commercial bank building, I think. Um, So we went in there and refitted those 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 floors, and then we we remused some of the floors and did all that kind of stuff. And then what we did also did was we found this enormously. I don't know why, but in the outskirts of Bogota are these vast, vast hangar like. Um, warehouses just hundreds of warehouses just a lot of them just empty it must have been I don't know what it was for but we found one of these and rented them and we just built a giant set so that 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 main foyer set which becomes a very focal part of the movie we built that yeah um and you know we been it's a giant set and I think if we built that in LA it would have cost the entire film's budget but yeah. building it there we had you know 300 people working 24/7 to get that thing made and we made a couple of other sets in there, but it was, you know, that was that's really how it was done.
0: Yeah, I like the production design because, to me, the overwhelming image I've left with of the film is white, and right. obviously, white goes with sterility and corporatization, <laughs> But it also looks really good when you throw some blood on it. And it's no spoiler <laughs> right. alert to say that there's some blood in this film. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: No, we. T- I mean. You know, that was part of the appeal of the film for me was doing a film that was all in an office building and all, you know, you had to basically create the atmosphere and the characters and the world of these characters and how it develops just within the spaces of, you know, office cubicles and boardrooms, which I thought would be really fun and challenging to do.
0: Mm. So if you were... Trying if if DVD stores still existed, and the particularly cantankerous owner of this DVD store said, "You've got to shelve it within a genre. You know, go put it on the shelf. Where would you put this? Would you call it horror? Um,
1: sort. I mean, sort of. It's it's really it's an it's a it's a I'd call it a action horror thriller comedy.
0: Uh-huh, sure, <laughs> or
1: a black comic thriller."
0: Right, so with the comedy, you're really going for something satirical, there, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's the the you know, the, I think that's one of the big elements. of The movie is that it's, it's very funny. That yeah. the the humor comes out of the absurdity of the situation and and people's reactions to something that is so extreme and so berserk that they people just do and say funny things. And also, the writer, you know, James Gunn, he's essentially a comic writer who works in different genres, but. Mm. Um, just character-based comedy is, is, is full of it. And also, you know, I think um, at the time that the script was written, you know, The Office was starting in the U.S. And I think at the time he was – James <laughs> used to be married to the, one of the lead actresses in that show. So I'm sure a bit of the whole Office kind of comedy rubbed off on him in making this – you know, writing this crazy script. That's
0: intriguing because it is like The Office combined with J.G. Ballard's High Rise. <clears throat> right. In fact, this and, your yeah. movie is kind of like what the second act of High Rise should have been. <laughs> Right, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that film. It gets much more abstract in the second act, where it's kind of what, what is actually happening. If you look underneath the abstraction, is kind of what happens in your film, which is right. Lord of the Fliesy type stuff. Is there any basis for the experiment itself? I know we have had prison experiments and stuff, and the Stanford experiment, etc. But was Gun basing it on any experiment that he'd read about that was a germ of the idea? Um, I. Th- I think of my understanding, is that he was it was
1: something that he had just always been fascinated with. I mean, yeah, there's the famous, you know, Stanford, you know, experiments about yep. people being asked to, you know, press a button to apply pain and how far they go to inflict pain on others just because they're told to. I think that was just somewhere in the back of his mind as a fascinating and kind of terrifying concept that people would experiment on other people for for you know, for data essentially. Um That was as far as a win, I think. But then it became, you know, obviously that idea just lodged somewhere in his brain. And then the idea of an office like environment with these characters who get forced to. you know, we won't spoil no. it, but do, do things to each other to survive, Yeah, um, became, you know, this, you know, raging crazy concept that, you know, became a horror action comedy thriller.
0: Yeah. Uh, Wolf Creek, as I remember it, I haven't seen it for quite a while, was not funny. It was intense. And um, you're not known as a comic director, but this movie hits its satirical beats. How how comfortable were you working with comedy? Very, I mean, you know, I, I
1: love comedy. I love funny films. I, uh, but, I mean, I think, you know, I don't – obviously I'm not known for making comedy films, but there is actually – there is some black humour in Wolf Creek and particularly in Wolf Creek 2. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, th- I feel like there is like a slightly comic element to my film that comes – it's not It's not like I don't sort of do jokes or no. do jokey characters, <laughs> but I certainly encourage comic moments that arise naturally and can certainly – there's certainly a black humour to a lot of the stuff. This was the first kind of outright um, script I'd done that had like – jokes as in you know scenes that were essentially just comic setup scenes yeah um but i loved it i I mean you know i was also armed with an amazing cast as well so that was kind of one of the reasons that it was i was very confident with that because i had a brilliant ensemble of actors who you know the script to them was just you know it was was perfectly cast really great performances um, lots of fun and you know with a script like that i you know Couldn't go too wrong I mean I could go too wrong But I didn't It was you know
0: Yeah the script is very very tight And the the cast is terrific We only have a couple of minutes left But I just want to mention One member of the cast Because to me This person exemplifies The tone that we've been talking Mm. about For the last few minutes And that's John C. McGinley Right Who I I can only really remember Seeing once before Which is when I tried an episode Of Scrubs season one (laughs) And decided it wasn't for me And I left it And all of a sudden He appears as this sort of Young middle aged Incredibly buff, mildly psychopathic dude who's also really funny. I mean, he just gets <laughs> to me. He he epitomizes the film. He's the film in microcosm, yeah. in a way.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because his his role really he, he kind of I mean, John just totally owned that role and <laughs> yeah. made and found so much comedy in it and found so much humor and also you know there's something about there's you know within his story arc and it's obviously you know got twelve or. 13 main characters so it's hard to service everyone but he just made that character so, shine so much and it's it's in the script but he added the nuance and the kind of tragic comic element to his personality and there's so much depth to his character and and it's amazing because everyone responds to him and just says John C. McGinley is amazing film and everyone's amazing but John is really phenomenal and he is a great great actor by the way like so great to work with and you know an amazing kind of talent to you know muck around with on set
0: yeah I can imagine how I can imagine the character on the script having those bones, but I can just see how he could have just like given yeah. you new stuff that you were noticing through the lens every day. Absolutely. Yeah. And also his relationship with Tony Goldwyn.
1: Um, you know, he developed a really interesting uh, dynamic. Mm. with those, those two developed this kind of very interesting lockstep kind of relationship, um, which we worked out. We had a you know week or so rehearsing, and we sort of worked out their backstory, and, and they really both kind of totally it's amazing I mean it was a real delight as a director to have a cast like that like it's rare you get um, such a big ensemble and everyone of that group were just you know totally motivated totally excited about the script really interested to do something different and crazy and, and commit to their characters and You know,
0: it was a lot of fun. I could talk to you all day long about uh, this type of movie and this type of genre, but I do have to let you go. Um, It's been terrific to talk with you, Greg. Your movie, The Belko Experiment, opens across Australia on the 21st of September. Thank you so much for joining me on Movie Land. Thank you so much. Take care. You're listening to CJ Johnson with Movie Land. Now, you did hear me mention in my intro to Greg, about Mother, the new film from Darren Aronofsky, talking of it as part of this new wave of horror-adjacent films with something to say. So I thought I'd give my review of that film, which, depending on when you're listening to this as a podcast, is either about to open or, if on the radio, has just opened across the world's cinemas. Darren Aronofsky's Phantasmagoric Fantasia on Art, fame, success, religion, politics, and the cult of celebrity erupts relentlessly and furiously. It is the angriest, most dynamic film I've seen this year, and probably the best film hailing from the United States, although it seems to have been shot in Quebec. A fable, or parable rather than a story centred in anything close to realism, utilising horror elements, including an honest-to-goodness haunted house... Mother, with an exclamation mark and a lowercase m, and those are specific to the marketing of this film, is a wild and mesmerising ride and should leave most engaged viewers with plenty to chew on. It is full of ideas. Jennifer Lawrence plays Mother... Married to him, and that is spelt with a capital H, quite specifically, him played by Javier Bardem in a role that is perfectly suited to his bulky, uber-masculine and tremendously charismatic middle age. They live in his gorgeous old Victorian house in the middle of the woods. She is restoring it after it was decimated in a fire. He, a celebrated poet, is trying to break a serious case of writer's block. They have no children and seem happy despite a certain frostiness and a rather blatant discrepancy in their power dynamic. Then, one day, completely out of the blue, a man, that's the character's name in the credits, man, played by Ed Harris, knocks on the front door and their lives start turning to muck. Aronofsky and his cinematographer, Matthew Libatik, shooting on handheld Super 16mm, have made a massive and sustained choice, which is to shoot about 85% of the film, and that's my conservative estimate, directly in front of Lawrence's face or directly behind her head, gluing us to her and her point of view. It is effective, to be sure, but it is also frustrating, as her head looms so large, mostly in the centre of the frame, that it becomes irritating. You want to push it out of the way. I even noticed that the device was giving me a minor headache combined as it is with a single pretty dark location, the interiors of this old gloomy wooden house, a camera that literally never stops moving and the grain of the 16mm film. This choice and this effect certainly were to the detriment of my enjoyment. As for everything else though, it is pretty wonderful. This is delirious, obsessive, tourism at its most enabled. You've got budget, the world's biggest female movie star, and the seeming complete lack of any control outside of the creator's whims. It is a direct portal into the author's Aronofsky's soul and... At this level, some may be disturbed in a way that has nothing to do with any of the film's creepy imagery or performances. The fact is that in the real world, Lawrence and Aronofsky are now in a relationship. There are 22 years between them, which aligns pretty well with the age gap between Lawrence and Bardem. And Aronofsky has a 10-year-old son from a previous relationship. All this Taken Together may make Mother a deeply personal movie, and the more personal it is to Aronofsky's life and interior beliefs, the more disturbing it is. Indeed, if one was to take a particular reading of the film, and one which is certainly there to be read, one could only conclude that Aronofsky was a monster of vanity, ego, and self-obsession. I'm not sure it's that. Knowing some of the things that have happened to Jennifer Lawrence, such as naked photos of her being published without her permission a year or two ago, I think the director's main target here is modern obsessive fandom and its relationship to modern idiotic notions of celebrity. He takes this ties it to Jesus, throws in Cain and Abel and a bunch of other biblical stuff. He directed Noah, don't forget, and as I said, Javier Bardem's character is specifically called Him with a capital H, and sprinkles our current insane moment in political history on top. Essentially, the film is a furious attack on the world we've created for ourselves, and asks a pretty simple question. Why in hell anyone want to bring a child into that that's mother and that is either about to start screening or is already screening at a cinema near you around the world the Belco Experiment, directed by Greg McLean, is opening in Australian cinemas on September 21st. You've been listening to Movie Land. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you very much for joining us. Take care and make sure you see a movie at the cinema this weekend. And I certainly recommend that it be Mother. Thanks for listening to Movie Land. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CJ Movie Land. Read and subscribe for free to my written reviews at filmmafia.com.au. Watch my web TV series, Watch This, at Skippy TV. That's S K I P I dot TV. S K I P I dot TV. TV and make sure you see a movie at the cinema this weekend. Take care.